Hey, before we get started, I just wanted to remind everyone to, if you haven't already, fill out the end-of-season survey, which you can find in the description for this episode. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Alternate History Class. My name's Andrew, and here we explore alternate history through the lens of a history class from another timeline. Last time, we looked at the rise of Napoleon III. This week, we'll look at the majority of his body of work leading up to the Franco-Prussian War. continue our discussion on Napoleon III. Today we will be looking at the parts of his reign that get forgotten by most casual historians, as often if you end your career in a failure, it is what is often the most remembered thing about you, but Napoleon III was known for his improvements in the nation that helped lead to bolster his popularity in the nation before his downfall. Now, one of the first things he did uh, upon being crowned emperor was look at improving the nation's infrastructure, and in particular, the railway network. He viewed the French railway network at the time as a mess of varying networks and unconsolidated mess, and so he would consolidate and expand the railway network to better reach rural areas and connections between France's capital and its south. Now, he would also uh, uh, become credited for establishing a modern agriculture uh, industry in France that helped uh, combat uh, issues with food supplies within the country and decrease its reliance on imports from other nations. But perhaps his most lasting legacy, at least from a visual standpoint, would be Uh, His grand reconstruction of Paris. Now, 
while this would begin in 1853, the plans began at the beginning of his reign. Uh, it would be directed by his prefect of the Seine, Georges Eugene Hausmann, uh, and it would deal with the problems of overcrowding, disease, and crime, especially in the center of Paris. Paris was at this time still very much a medieval-looking uh, city in the center. Uh, it had just expanded, and there had been no updates to the center of the city, hence the need for this reconstruction. Now, it would inc now the reconstruction would include uh, the demolition of medieval neighborhoods uh, that were deemed overcrowded and unhealthy by public officials at the time, and the building of wide avenues, new parks and squares, uh, the annexation of suburbs surrounding Paris, and the construction of new sewers, fountains, and aqueducts. Now, Hausmann's work was met with fierce opposition, and he was finally uh, dismissed by Napoleon III uh, in 1870, but his work would uh, be continued all the way up until 1927. Uh, the street uh, plan and distinctive appearance uh, in the center of Paris as we know them today are largely the result of this renovation. So if you believe Paris is a beautiful city, as, as many do, uh, you have uh, Napoleon III and Haussmann to thank for that. Now, when it comes to foreign policy, uh, this was a period of oddly cooperative relations with the British Crown. Uh, this is in spite of the mutual dislike that uh, the royal families of the two nations had uh, the Hanovers uh, and their opposition to Napoleon I was never forgotten uh, by his successors, and especially not by Napoleon III, who was trying to emulate uh, his uncle as much as he could. Uh, but, nonetheless, they would enter into a free trade agreement and even ally each other to try to stop, uh, stop Russian expansion in the Crimean War. Uh, a war that, if you would like to look into more of, uh, was disastrous and bloody for both sides of the conflict. Now, uh, now when it came 
to outside of Britain. Uh, perhaps Napoleon III's greatest uh, contribution to the European continent was his work in Italy as he helped unify uh, the northern part of Italy under uh, the Sardinian Piedmont. Uh, now, tensions were building up between Austria-Hungary and Sardinia Piedmont over the Lombardy region and Venetia region, uh, as Sardinia Piedmont was very much looking to uh, take up the the flag of unifier of Italy, uh, and so. Uh, with all the Austrian holdings in the north of Italy, uh, this obviously stood directly opposed to uh, the Sardinian Piedmont and the House of Savoy's goals. Uh, and so, uh, Napoleon III uh, had offered to negotiate uh, uh, a peaceful solution uh, to the uh, Austro-Hungarians uh, in the spring of 1858. Uh, now, considering the relations that France had with both sides, the Bonaparte dynasty had with both sides, they were likely the only ones who would uh, who would agree to this and it was a good thing that uh, Emperor Franz Joseph uh, decided to agree to this as uh, Napoleon III had made secret plans with Sardinia Piedmont in case negotiations had failed and it is the opinion of most historians that if they had not uh, come to the negotiating table, then there would have been a war that could have lost them most, if not all, of their Italian lands. Now, this would lead to a conference in Rome between France, Austria-Hungary, Sardinia-Piedmont, uh, as well as the two other uh, Italian nations, that being Sardinia Piedmont, I apologize, being the Papal States, uh, as well as the Kingdom of the Two Sicilies. Uh, now, the, this would lead to the Treaty of Rome uh, in early 1859. Uh, while the negotiations were tense, uh, it would see uh, great gains for Sardinia Piedmont, who would become the great winner uh, of this treaty uh, in public eyes and public perception. Uh, Austria would cede Lombardy to Sardinia Piedmont, and their border would uh, be demilitarized. Uh, the Papal States would cede all of central Italy outside of Latium, to Sardinia Piedmont. Uh, troops from uh, 
France and Austria would help guarantee the independence of the papal states. Uh, now, there was a discussion that uh, perhaps the papal states would uh, end at this conference, but uh, considering that both the two Sicilies and Sardinia Piedmont uh, were trying to become the unifiers of Italy, uh, both wanted Rome for the symbolic purpose uh, that that would have as the former capital of perhaps the most influential, matter of fact, I would say definitely the most influential uh, empire in European history. Uh, to have that under your control uh, would really bolster you as the unifier of Italy. Uh, so it was decided that France and Austria would both have small contingents of troops to dissuade the two Italian states from taking uh, uh, the, the papal states from the Pope. Uh, this would also, uh, due to the high tensions between there and looking to establish peace in Italy, uh, there would be a new border uh, created between Sardinia Piedmont and the two Sicilies uh, that was to be uh, uh, demilitarized. Uh, this border obviously coming from the gains that they got from both uh, the Papal States and from the Austro-Hungarians. Um, but Europe was not the only place where uh, where Napoleon III had his eyes set. He also wanted to increase the French uh, colonial empire. Uh, now, France already had uh, strongholds in uh, North Africa, uh, but he wanted to increase uh, French presence, uh, particularly in uh, East Asia. Uh, and so he would begin the colonization of what would later become French Indochina uh, with the conquest of Chino-China in uh, 1864. For those of you who are not familiar with what this region is, this is uh, the southernmost part of what would become French Indochina. Uh, this, he would... Uh, also expand this uh, into modern-day Cambodia in 1867. This would also come with an increased influence in southern China, including acquiring uh, new ports in the city, taking part in the Second uh, Opium War, uh, again with the British, leading many intellectuals in both countries to think that two nations would finally end their centuries-old rivalry. Uh, he would also attempt to uh, invade uh, Korea in what was nominally um, attempting to avenge 
the death of two uh, French missionaries to to Korea, uh, but that would uh, fail uh, in uh, 1866. The whole expedition was a utter failure. Uh, but he also tried to reestablish a French puppet in Mexico uh, when he tried to install uh, the uh, at that time actually heir to the Austro-Hungarian throne friends Joseph's younger brother Maximilian uh, as the emperor of Mexico uh, in 1862 taking advantage uh, of the United States being distracted by their civil war and uh, the uh, instability that seemed to uh, plague Mexico, uh, especially uh, in these days. And at first, it, it, it seemed to work. Uh, Maximilian was successfully installed as the head of Mexico, uh, and while there was resistance, things tended to go relatively well for the French. Uh, and their and their essential puppet uh, in Mexico, but after the end of the American Civil War, uh, the United States sent an army of fifty thousand to the Mexican border to demand that the French leave. Um, and French at this time was already stretched thin, having troops all over. The world at this time, they you know, were still expanding uh, in in uh, southern and southeast Asia. They were um, they they were this time having troops dedicated to their attempted invasion in Korea, uh, and tensions were building uh, with the with the Prussians. Uh, who had built themselves up to be the great German power. Uh, and so, due to these tensions, and as well as having troops in uh, Rome to, to as part of the Treaty of Rome, to protect the Pope and his rule, uh, he would pull out and without French support the Second Mexican Empire uh, would soon collapse, and Maximilian would be uh, summarily executed. Now, the uh, now Prussia had um, really come into its own after uh, the loss uh, at Waterloo uh, during and the surrounding battles during the Violet. Revolution, uh, when Napoleon I regained his throne. Uh, this would uh, see them take on a series of conquests and diplomatic plays uh, that would see them essentially have unified uh, northern Germany and the North German Confederation uh, at this time. And actually, they had... Uh, Actually, just had a quick and swift war uh, 
that booted, uh, that essentially ended much of Austria's influence uh, in northern Germany, especially uh, as many southern Germans were uh, were Catholic and the leadership was, was Catholic and they tended to naturally align themselves with the Catholic Austrians uh, as opposed to the Protestant Germans. I shouldn't say Germans, the Protestant Prussians and uh, smaller Protestant German states in the north. Uh, and this had been led uh, in large part by the Prime Minister uh, of Prussia at the time, Otto von Bismarck, who wanted to not only increase uh, Prussia as the uni conservative unifier of Germany, but uh, also to become the dominant military power on the continent. And the only nation that truly uh, stood in their way at this point, as they had proven Austria was no match, uh, and they had all these smaller German states, uh, was, was, was France. Uh, now, uh, this would lead, pro lead him to have a very strong, uh, anti-French foreign policy, um, as he wanted to have unified all of Germany outside, of course, of Austria. Uh, and he would uh, continue to do so as tensions would build and he would try to goad the French emperor into a war. It would be the war that would define Napoleon III's legacy, that of course being the Franco-Prussian War. Thank you for listening to the Alternate History Class Podcast. If you'd like to give any feedback you have, feel free to reach out via Twitter at AltHisClassPod or email the show at AltHisClass at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcasting platform so you don't miss an episode when it goes live. If you are able want to help the show financially, you can support the show on Patreon. Just search for Alternate History Class, or use the link in the description of this episode. If you can't support the show financially, that's fine. Feel free to share the show with someone you think will enjoy it. And finally, thank you for your most important contribution, your time. And I'll see you next time as we journey down the path not taken.